You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Uh, If you've got a Bible, find your way to the book of Proverbs. The first place will be is in chapter 18, but we're going to be in a lot of verses this morning. Uh, As you're turning there, uh, if you're new, my name's uh, Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. I know that this time of year is a time when a lot of uh, new faces come uh, to church for a lot of different reasons. And so if that's you, if you're visiting, uh, we are really, really glad that you're here. We love Jesus because he first loved us, and because of that, we love you, and we're grateful that you're worshiping with us. We are in a series on wisdom, and wisdom is living in God's world, God's way. And and we've been in the book of Proverbs a lot in this series. We're back in it again this morning, and if you know much about the book of Proverbs, you know that if you just read, uh, you know, the 31 chapters that are Proverbs, and you made a note about what it's talking about, it talks about a lot. Um, If you just made a list of subjects that you encounter in the book, uh, you would write down that it talks about conflict and it talks about family and it talks about parenting and it talks about money and it talks about emotion and it talks about sex and it talks about death and all of these things. But if you were to uh, just make a note of what gets the most volume of verses, as far as subjects go, topics go, what does Proverbs talk about the most? The answer is words. It offers more wisdom about speech than it does anything else in the entire book. How to speak wisely and how to speak foolishly. It's over 90 Proverbs about words, and most of those Proverbs are multiple lines, and so it's well over 100 lines devoted to talking about how we talk. And it's a topic we need wisdom on, first of all, because talking is something we all do, and we all do it a lot. A research that I read this week said that we open our mouths 700 times a day to speak. That's not the word, the word count. That's just the number of times we, we open our mouths to talk. So that might sound high to you. That might sound low to you. But the point is that next to breathing, we speak more than anything else. And here's what Proverbs is going to say about the thing that we do a lot. It's really powerful. Our words are incredibly consequential to how we're living. We'll just jump right in. I need you to see this with me in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, 21 that Jericho read for us. It says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. How powerful are words? They're life or death. And, and it's not being hyperbolic. Words can literally kill. Think about this. Words have started wars, Right? They have the power of death. And words, on the other hand, can be life-giving. It says those who love it will eat its fruits. It's comparing uh, words to food and basically saying, if you have a steady diet of wise words, you're going to be really healthy. There's another proverb that's a helpful companion to this. It'll be on the screen behind me. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It really drives home the power of words. It's a powerful image. Rash words are like a sword thrust. So if you get stabbed with a sword, which I I pray to God never happens to you, I really do. Uh, And I don't think it will. You don't look like the kind of people that get in sword fights. But if that does happen, you will be marked forever. Even when the sword is gone, it leaves a sign that it was once there. It's a wound that turns into a scar, something that stays with you to show people there was a sword here. And, and what would happen is, depending on if the scar was, was visible or not, people would say, hey, what happened there? And you'd say, oh, this, this is where I got stabbed with a sword. 
And they would probably be really confused or they'd want to hear the story or something like that. Rash words, which are foolish words, words that are blurted out, words that are spoken in the heat of the moment. Um, you feel provoked and so you just let something fly out of your mouth. It's, it's words that don't give thought to how they're going to impact a person beyond the moment, right? And you know what those kinds of words are like? They're like sword thrusts. It means it's not a surface wound like a paper cut. It's deeper than that. It doesn't just happen to you. It happens in you like a sword. And like a sword, it stays. There's a sign of foolish words. And I think we all experientially know this to be true. We all have word wounds. We have all been wounded by the words of others. We've all used our words to wound others. And like a scar from a sword, like a wound from a sword, if those wound words, like right now in the room, if those were visible, we could walk around and, and, and point and say, hey, what happened there? And maybe you'd say, oh, that, that that's the, the time that my dad told me he was ashamed of me. Oh, that, that's the time that my spouse told me they didn't love me anymore. Oh, that, that's this time where I, I let a friend into a really vulnerable part of my life and they shared with others what I asked them to keep between us, and that really hurt. Oh, that, that's this embarrassing name that I was called in the seventh grade, and as silly as it sounds, even as an adult, I'm still trying to prove them wrong. Oh, that, that's where this angry pastor weaponized truth in a way that heaped shame on me instead of holding up grace. Oh, that, that's where my adult child told me they hated me. Scott Sauls, he's a, a pastor and an author. He's written a lot on words. I'll, I'll quote him a couple times. He offers a revised version of the Sticks and Stones poem. He says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can cut me deeply like a sword. What's the point in all that? Words are powerful. They're powerful. They can be like death. They can wound. Also, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can bind up wounds. Words can be life-giving. Words can heal. If, if foolish words can be like a sword, wise words can be like the bandages, like the stitching, like the medicine. I was talking to a, a man at our church. He's a wonderful brother who started coming here because of our recovery ministry. Our recovery ministry meets on Wednesday nights at 6.30. It's an open-door ministry to anyone struggling with, with sin or suffering, so all of us. And he's telling me about coming into recovery in a really hard season of life, and then he began describing to me how God met him in that ministry and is healing him in that ministry, and he starts talking about what people have said to him, uh, naming people and saying, they shared this, or God helped me through their words this way, and, and he says, I came in hopeless, and I began to hope again which means I began to live again. And what he's describing is the healing power of words, that, that, that words can bind up and they can encourage and they can correct, and, and words that are true bring healing. And so maybe just like there are stories in the room where we could go around and say, yeah, this is where I was wounded. Many of us could say, this is where I was put back together. These are words that were spoken to me that at the right time that went through my ears down into some part of my soul that really needed to hear something wise and healing. So friend, you speak every day. I speak every day. Not every word is a stabbing word. Not every word is a healing word, but many are, and all of us have and will speak both. And please lean in. We live in a time where if we're not careful, we will be discipled into foolish ways of speaking because our public discourse, specifically our political discourse, has become so foolish Everyone is so angry. 
Everyone is so quick to dehumanize when, when someone disagrees. Everyone is so quick to spread the latest thing they heard that could damage somebody's reputation or the latest thing they heard that will end up into a lot of headline clicks, right? And it's easy for us as Christians to be influenced by that kind of foolish speaking because it's all around us. It's modeled for us, especially by people with power, especially by people with platform. And wisdom reminds us that as Christians, our speech should be distinct from the world around us. Ray Ortland in his Proverbs commentary says it like this. As Americans, we do have the right of free speech. In our political culture, we have the right, and if it's a right, nobody can stop us, to blurt out whatever we feel. But when we become Christians, we enter a new culture where we surrender that right. We stop blurting out whatever we feel, and we bring our words under the judgment of God's words. As a Christian, you and I have surrendered the right to say whatever we want whenever we want. We can't stab people with our words. We can't speak death. We've been called to submit our mouth to Christ and to his kingdom and to speak life. And so the wise are asking a question right now. And you all look really wise. So you're asking this question right now. What does that sound like, Jamin? According to God's word, what's the difference between words that speak life and words that speak death? It's a great question. In looking at the volume of verses that Proverbs offers, I just want to offer um, a few marks of wise words. Wise words are true, not deceptive. They are sincere, not selfish. They are helpful, not hurtful. And they are gentle, not harsh. Now, quick note. There are over 90 Proverbs on words. I have pages of notes of around 10 Proverbs under each of these points. There's just no way to get to all of it. Also, there's a proverb, Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. And so the more I talk, the greater chance I say something foolish. And if there's ever a time you can't say something foolish, it's in a sermon on wise words. So all that to say, we're going to move pretty quickly. Uh, and we're just going to have to come back to this on another Sunday to be able to get it, to get it all in. So uh, the first one is uh, wise words are true, not deceptive. Proverbs 12, 19. Truthful lips endure forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. Wise words are true, not deceptive. Uh, I think this is self-evident, um, but wise words don't lie. The wise don't deceive. The wise uh, don't uh, disagree with, with reality, right? Truthful lips endure forever. At its very core, though, to just to get underneath, like to the very kernel of, of what this is saying, what is meant by true for the wise is that the wise agree with God because truth is determined by God. What we believe to be true is what God has revealed to be true about him and about us and about life and about reality. So I, I know so many of us know this, but it's why it's so important for us to know our Bibles. It's so important for us to know God's word. We cannot speak truth that we haven't first surrendered to ourselves and filled, filled our lives with. We've said this before. Whoever has your ear controls your life. And the starting place to speaking wise words is giving your ears to God. Um, the wise speak what's true, what's not deceptive. And the most dangerous form of deception is self-deception, where what we call true is actually a lie. And what God's word does, it's so powerful, when we give our ears to God and when we sit silently before his words, the light of his truth drives the darkness of self-deception out of our lives. So it's a good time to remind us that registration is open for our men and women's Bible classes. <laughs> The women's class is incredible. Meets, uh, there's one on 
Tuesday morning and one on Tuesday evening. The men's class is almost as good as the women's, and they meet on Monday evenings. Those are wonderful spaces for giving our ears to God. And, and here's, here's why we're starting there. I just don't think we have a shot at being wise in our speech if we don't know our Bibles well. But to hide his word in our heart, more and more life will pour out of our mouth as the unfading lamp to my feet, light to my path, never returning void word of God does its work in us. And it makes our words true. So all of these are going to be turned into a question. And here's the question. Are your words true? Um, do they agree with God? When you speak, does it sound like scripture? Uh, wise words are sincere, not selfish. Proverbs 26, 23 through 24. I was a bit uh, undone by this verse. It says this, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel. Remember that image, it's really important. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. Uh, a glaze covering an earthen vessel. Here's what it's describing. There's a bowl that's made of clay, and that clay bowl is coated with a layer of silver. So you look at the bowl and you see silver, and it looks like it's precious. It looks like it's, it's made of, of you know, a, a special metal. But in reality, underneath it, it's just dirt. So it's dirt covered in silver. It appears to be something that it's not. It appears to be better than it actually is. And the point is we can use words like that. I, some, a scene from a movie came to mind when I read that. You remember the movie Elf? Of course you do. It's, it's the greatest movie since The Princess Bride. There's a scene where he first gets to New York and he's walking and, and on the outside of a coffee shop it says, what does it say? Oh, I'm so proud of y'all. It says, world's best cup of coffee. And he walks inside and he says, congratulations. And later in the movie, he, he gets a girlfriend and he takes her there and he sits her down and she drinks and she says, this is a really bad cup of coffee. And he goes, no, it's the world's greatest cup of coffee. And he, and he points to the sign outside, right? And what's happening there is the words on the outside don't correspond to the reality on the inside. And as silly as that is, that's the point of the proverb. The metaphor, there's a way to use words where it's like a silver layer covering dirt. One commentator says it like this. It describes someone who tries and disguise the real nature of their inner person with their speech. Wise words are sincere, not selfish. It means this. We will never speak wisely if the primary way we use our words or if the primary purpose we give our words is making us look a certain way, making us appear to be something in front of those who are listening, trying to cover the dirt of our life with a silver layer of our words. Have you ever done that? Have you ever used words to try and appear to be something you're not? Have you ever used words to hide something about you that could make others think less of you? Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Do you ever compliment yourself for attention? Do you have a way of turning every conversation towards you? There's another side of that. Um, do you ever disparage yourself for attention? Like a false humility. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. When we speak less of ourselves, it can be a false humility that manipulates someone into giving you the compliment you wish you could give yourself. It's selfish. This is selfish. 
It's a selfish way to use words. To pretend with our speech to be what we're not. To think the purpose in speaking is all about what the listener thinks of me after I talk. Can I tell you something, church? This is an especially present temptation for me. Um, I'm a preacher. I'm on stage using my words to talk about wise words. And those who know me better uh, know this is not true, but it could be easy for a lot of you to think um, that I'm speaking as one who's arrived. It'd be easy maybe for you to think, oh, he doesn't sin like others do. He doesn't speak foolishly like others do. He's the guy on stage. He has it figured out. And here's what I hate. Here's what I hate. It's easy for me to want you to think that. And none of it's true. I've been just convicted this week. My mouth has gotten me in trouble my entire life. It still does. I appreciate the laugh. That helps me. <laughs> I've said so many foolish things. I've lied. I've slandered. I've answered questions I don't know the answer to because I didn't want to look dumb. Uh, I have said I don't struggle with sins. I actually do because I didn't want to look bad. Um, my whole life I have used words to try and get from people what I can only get from Jesus. And there's a thing in me that in conversation can be so calculated in what I say when I'm not even having a conversation as much as I'm trying to make a good impression to convince someone that the coffee is better than it actually is, to hide the dirt with layers of silver words. And I am so good at making my words all about me. And that's selfish. And Proverbs calls it out. And wisdom calls it out. And why this is so important is because part of speaking wisely is submitting our words under God's truth, not our ego's agenda. We will never speak words that bring life if those words are always weighed by, by selfish motivation. Like, so think about all the rash words that have been spoken, all the stabbing words that have been spoken because somebody felt like their ego was threatened or somebody felt like their insecurities were exposed or somebody felt like their reputation was damaged and they lash out with words in response to that. Wise words are sincere. Wise words don't make our words about us. Don't try to hide who we are. We're, we're honest about the dirt, where that's appropriate, those closest to us. And we're sincere in this. We're sincere in that we know the most worthwhile way I can use my words is by honoring and exalting a glorious God, not myself. Are your words sincere? Um, do your words serve a higher purpose than just how you want people to think about you when you get done talking? Wise words are helpful, not hurtful. Uh, Proverbs eleven twelve says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter <laughs> separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, it's a synonym for gossiper, where there is no gossiper, quarreling ceases. The wise don't use their words to hurt people. And so um, if you're thinking the wise don't call names, that's true. If you're thinking the wise don't insult, that's true. If you're thinking the wise don't shame, that's true. Those are all hurtful ways to use words. These verses hold out another hurtful way to use words. According to Proverbs, one of the most hurtful ways we can use our words is gossip and slander. Belittling a neighbor is what it says. Repeating a matter, it's gossip. Feeding the fire of conflict with gossip in verse 20. And here's what it goes after, friends. It goes after a heart 
that says things about people with the intention of making someone else think less of that person. And it's foolish. So that includes when, 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 sh- when we share something that's not ours to share. Uh, when we share about a problem in someone else's life when we're not part of the solution. Uh, when we're talking about someone's faults or what's wrong in their life, what's wrong in their marriage, what's wrong with their parenting, our hot sports opinions about what they need to do better in their life, the latest sin they committed, the bad decision they made, and, and it's, a, it's shared with a heart that gets some sort of satisfaction out of that. And it's hurtful and it's foolish. And it's hurtful and it's foolish even if we disguise it as a prayer request. Scott Saul's, again, this is uncomfortable. Uh, but he compares gossip to pornography. He says, gossip is pornography of the mouth because like pornography, gossip is a cheap thrill that offers zero commitment to a person being objectified. So I talk about something wrong with someone, I, uh, something that bothers me about someone, some way that I was offended by someone and I air that to someone else. That's thrilling. Oh, to get to talk about that. And I get to say what I want without the fear of relational consequence. And I get to say what I want without the consequence of seeing what it would do to that person if they were actually in the room. And I'm offering no commitment to that person. I'm not trying to help. I'm not trying to work something out. I'm simply objectifying them. And then when I'm done talking, I say, hey, but please don't tell them I said that. Let's keep that between us, which is the gossip version of closing the browser and clearing the history. Wisdom calls us to a standard of speech that asks this question about every word we speak about another person. Is what I'm about to say for their good? And if not, the wise just stay silent. Um, Two truths to make explicit from this. The wise do not say about people what they should say to people. The wise don't talk behind the back. The wise talk face to face. So when there's something wrong in a relationship, which happens, conflict happens, when we're concerned for people, when we believe we've been sinned against, when we believe that we've been, uh, we've been failed to be loved by someone, we have those conversations with the person, not with other people. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So the opposite of gossip and slander is not flattery. It's not telling people what they, what they want to hear. The opposite of gossip and slander is honesty. Honesty offered from a heart of love. So where there's conflict, the wise have conversations and they keep the circle as small as possible. Don't invite others in to be part of the problem if they're not part of the solution. And here's another truth to make explicit. I think it's so important. A huge part of this is not about your mouth or my mouth. It's about our ears. It includes not listening or seeking out uh, when people are sharing what's not theirs to share. Do you know a statement that is equally as rare as it is wise, I don't need to know. I don't need to know. (laughs) We have so much access to information, so much access to the dysfunction happening in other people's lives, problems, secrets. And there's something about our culture that obsesses over it, is entertained by it. And the wise say, I don't need to know. The wise stay away from that. I was talking to a godly woman at our church a few years ago about a difficult situation going on in someone else's life. And I truly, I thought she was walking more closely to the situation than she was. And so I, uh, I started talking about things that I thought she was aware of, but she wasn't. And she interrupted me, immediately interrupted me and said, Jamin, the way my mom used to say it. She said, Jamin, I don't need to know that. She said this, 
I know enough to know I need to pray. I don't need to know anymore. And then she turned around and walked away. And I felt so awkward. I was like, I thought you knew. (laughs) What wisdom? What wisdom? I don't need to know. I know enough to know I need to pray. I don't need to know anymore. The wise don't just keep gossip from their lips. They protect their ears so they give it no opportunity in their heart. Are your words hurtful? Like, I wonder, do you have any relationships where when you get together, all you do is talk about other people? Those are foolish relationships. When you speak about others, can you do your words about others pass the test? Is this for their good? Here's some helpful words. We ready for some helpful words. Proverbs 12, 25 says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. These are helpful words. These are life-giving words. They're called good words and gracious words. A good word can lift the burden of anxiety. Like when you look at someone with love and confidence and you say, you're going to be okay. God loves you. That's a good word. Gracious words are like honeycomb. You ever been in a place of of self-doubt and someone just breathes courage into you? Hey, you can do this. God's gifted you for this. It's a gracious word. You ever felt unlovable? And you're talking about how unlovable you are and someone reminds you, hey, that's who Jesus loves. He loves the unlovable. That's who he is, his very heart. And that's a gracious word. And what it's saying is, is the wise both speak these kinds of words, good and gracious, and they receive them from others. Pay attention to something. Uh, Some of us can be too dependent on other people's words. Uh, We can um, live for the compliment and, and be crushed by criticism. Some of us, though, on the other side, can be too dismissive of good words when they come from others. We don't allow encouragement to encourage. We don't allow gracious words to move uh, beyond our ears and chip away at our critical hearts. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together says this, it's wonderful. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. It's saying this, when my sister speaks a good and gracious word to me, when my brother speaks a good and gracious word to me, if it's true, if it agrees with God, those words about me from their mouth are truer and stronger than the thoughts about me in my heart. Think about this, friend. Think about how many shameful things you think about yourself, and you're the only one who believes it about you. And God has placed in our lives good, wise, loving friends that we might open our hearts to believe maybe the Christ in their word is stronger than the one that's in here. And I can submit myself to that and I can be encouraged by that. How important it is to speak those kinds of words. Do you, is this part of your life? Do you speak good and gracious words? Um, do you humble yourself under the good and gracious words spoken to you? The last one, wise words are gentle, not harsh Chapter 15, verse 1 and 4, it says this, A soft answer, a gentle answer, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. About Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 31, it says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The most common apology I make in life is an apology that I make to my children. And it's not around what I said, it's almost always around how I said it. Child, I was harsh. Child, I was irritated. 
child, I was angry. Please forgive me. And usually that is when what I actually said was true, but I just said it in a way that made the truth hard to hear. Because what we know, what we know is a person's words can be true and their tone can be false all at the same time. Our words always come in context. Our person, our posture, it provides the emotional context in which our words are received. And so for the wise, the wise don't just have wise content to their words. They have a wise countenance when they speak. And the wise countenance is gentle, soft, kind. The wise woman in Proverbs 31, it said, kindness is on her tongue. 15.1 says a gentle answer turns away wrath. It has diffusing power, like someone disarming a bomb. Gentle words can keep things from detonating. Do you speak gently? Like if, if um, those who hear you talk most, those closest with you, your loved ones, if they were to ascribe an emotion that most fits the words you speak, what would it be? Kind? Irritated? Detached? Loving? Angry? Critical? Gentle? How we speak matters just as much as what we say. So do you speak gently? All right. Are your words true, church? Are they sincere? Are they helpful? Are they gentle? Are they wise? Are they life-giving? And if the answer is yes, then you will do a lot less wounding when you speak, and you'll do a lot more healing when you speak. There's just something so important to know. We can't quit. As I've been asking about your words and my words, and I know we've moved quickly, and I know it was a lot. Hear this. To ask about someone's words is to ask about their very heart. 16.23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Where do our words come from? They come from our hearts. Our Savior tells us, Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. One translation says your mouth speaks what your heart is filled with. Tim Keller says all of our heart problems become word problems. Every time we talk, it's our heart spilling out through our mouths. So I don't know if this is happening for you. I told someone in between the services, we were talking about the sermon, and I just said, sincerely, there's a, a verse in, in Psalm 51, it says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice, and I have not felt my bones broken by God's word like this in a really long time. And if what's happening for me is happening for you, is I can't answer yes to any of these questions. Are my words true? Sometimes. Sometimes I don't agree with God. Are my words sincere? Goodness. No, often they're far more selfish than they should be. Are my words helpful or hurtful? Put me down for a both and. Are my words gentle? Not like they should be. And what that means, what God's word would say is, okay, follow all those answers to your heart. Trace the words that come out of your mouth, even the foolish ones, and, and trace them back down to your heart. And what that means is there's deception here and selfishness here and, and hurt and, and harshness here. And so where that leaves us right now, friend, is the need is for someone who has the power to speak to and change the very source of our words, our hearts, and his name is Jesus. Stay with me. This is beautiful. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that, that 
Jesus, for you, Christian, lives to intercede for us forever as our priest and our mediator. It means he's at the right hand of the Father speaking right now. And I read this section in Eugene Peterson's translation, and I just, was, I just wept with gratitude. It says this, Earlier there were a lot of priests, for they died and had to be replaced. But Jesus' priesthood is permanent. He's there from now to eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him. Hear this always on the job to speak up for them. So now we have a high priest who perfectly fits our needs, completely holy, uncompromised by sin, with authority extending as high as God's presence in heaven itself. There's so much there, but did you hear it? Jesus speaks up for you. He intercedes for you the whole time we've been in here. Whatever reaction you've been having to the sermon, you feel like your words are foolish, you've been detached, haven't caught a whole lot, you feel convicted over where God's word has held up how the word should be, and we know how our words are. While all of that has been happening, your Savior, King Jesus, has been speaking about you Words of intercession, always on the job to speak up for those who belong to him. And he is, is the tongue that speaks life. And his are the words that bring healing. He always says what's true. He never deceives. He always speaks with sincerity. He's never selfish. He always speaks what's helpful. He doesn't hurt. His words are good. His words are gracious. He says about his very heart that he's gentle, not harsh. His wise words that come from his eternally perfect permanent intercession, that has the power to change us. That has the power to change my heart and your heart. And I just wonder what he would say right now. If we just had a window into what it was like for our Savior to intercede moment by moment on our behalf, I wonder what he would say. I wonder what he'd say to those of us who use words to make people think we're better than we are. I imagine Jesus would remind us, I don't love the silver layer, I love the dirt. I see it all and I love you still. You don't have to pretend to be more than you are. I love you right where you are. And I wonder what he would say to those of us who have hurt with our words and wounded with our words and failed to be gentle. I imagine he would say, remember the cross and forgiveness, and invite us to surrender again our hearts so that our mouths might sound like him. I wonder what he would say to those of us who've been wounded by others, and we carry with us the signs of places where hurtful words have been. And Jesus knows every name you've been called, and he knows every word that pierced you and that haunts you and hangs over you. And I imagine he would say, beloved, I get the final word about you. You are who I've declared you to be, and deeper then any word that's ever pierced you are the words from the one who was pierced for you. And I just imagine he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Jesus is speaking right now. His words are true. He intercedes for you and for our words to change, our hearts have to change. And for our hearts have to change, we have to welcome in the life-giving, grace-offering, shame-silencing words of our Savior speaking even now. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. We need you. Let the bones you've broken rejoice, oh God. Thank you that you are 
the kind of God that loves the dirt. Thank you that you are the kind of God who speaks words that go deeper into us than rash words do. And I don't know enough to know, God, how your word is landing as we consider our words, but I know enough to know that you, by your Holy Spirit, can appropriate your word in accordance with every need in the room. Where the need is for conviction, God, would you convict? Would we be like Isaiah who just wants our lips to be sealed, God, purified by your holiness? God, where there's need for conviction, Lord, would we be, would be faithful to confess that? I've been foolish with my words. Lord, where comfort is needed, where someone just cannot shake the haunting things said to them by someone close to them, where someone just can't unhear a name that has hovered over them for their entire life, would you, holy God, just break that chain over their life? Would you speak directly into their heart words of life and intercession and identity that they would believe that you treasure them, Lord, deeper than the words that have pierced them are your words as the one who has pierced for them. May we be a wise people who speak distinctly wise words in a foolish world. And I, I believe with all my heart that if more of your words, Jesus, our high priest, always on the job to speak up for us, if more of your words made it deeper into our hearts, the overflow of that would be wisdom and life and healing and encouragement. We need you. We believe you can change us, not because we deserve it, but because you're kind. We love you. Amen.